to another edition of the Replacement Level Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Phillips, and this is the place to be if you want to get all the latest baseball information that's happening in the wonderful world of Major League Baseball and pretty much baseball kind of anywhere else that's pretty big deal and everything like that. So uh, today we have a special returning guest, and that is Jack Johnson. Again, Jack Johnson, who covers the Kansas City Royals, and not Jack Johnson, the famous musician. But uh, Jack, welcome back to the show. Hey, thanks for having me on. Always a blast to join you guys. Awesome, awesome. So uh, we'll kind of jump right into it. Um, Royals making a little bit of headline news yesterday in the trade market. Uh, Let's start off with that Kyle Wright for Jackson Coar trade. Uh, Give us your thoughts and reactions and everything on that. Yeah, I think a lot of people here in Kansas City were pretty excited to see the Royals uh, just be so transactional yesterday. And a move like this for Kyle Wright, there's no guarantee that he comes back fully healthy in 2025 because that's the move that they're trying to get here. He's going to miss all of 2024, but, you know, back in 2022, he led the major leagues in wins. And I don't think anybody would have believed that Jackson Coar could get that type of talent in return. Now, does that talent ever come back? Um, it's up in the air. And also, Kyle Wright wasn't very good in 2023, but Jackson Coar has never been good at the big league level. So the fact that the Royals saw this pounced on it, I think they took advantage of Atlanta, who's trying to clear up a lot of 40-man spots so they can be overly aggressive in free agency, which I think it's good for them, but also good for the Royals. It reminds me a lot back in 2014 when they, uh, I think it was a trade, trader signing, can't quite remember, for Chris Medlin. Uh, Chris Medlin was coming off a great year in 14. He was going to miss, or I think 2013. He missed all of 2014, but it was a play for 2015, and he was on the team the entire year and joined uh, that, that team in the postseason roster. So I think the Royals had some experience with that. And I think you got to give a lot of kudos to Brian Bridges, who actually drafted Kyle Wright when he was over in Atlanta. So some history there. And I think that's why the Royals made the move yesterday. So we're going to just kind of jump ahead here. And let's say Kyle Wright is more of what we saw more recently than that 21 game winner that you mentioned earlier. Yeah. If that's the case, would we still look back at this trade and say, you know what, it, it was a gamble on both sides and it never really panned out, so whatever, at least they tried something, or is it going to be something where maybe you look back and like, maybe we should have kept Kowar just because like we kind of knew what we had with him at least, or maybe he didn't cost as much money as Kyle Wright? Yeah, I think it's a fair question, and uh, I think the Royals were okay with the fact that maybe Jackson Kowar goes to Atlanta, and let's say he succeeds, but the way that I look at it, Atlanta's not saving any bullpen spots for Jackson Coar. not saving any spots in the rotation. There's no guarantee he could even be in the rotation in AAA. So I think if Kyle Wright never becomes something, if he's either one, not very good, or two, never gets healthy, it's just kind of a wash deal because you didn't give up a lot in return. If you did give up somebody and it was a top 30 prospect, you have a different story there because there could have been more development uh, to be made. There could have been a chance he got to Kansas City. But the Royals have tried... Pretty much everything with Jackson Coar. I don't think it's ever been a physical thing. I don't think it's been a stuff thing. Uh, it might be a mental thing because there's just there's too good of stuff for Jackson Coar for it not to work out. And I think that's what the Royals kind of figured out that, hey, we need to improve our bullpen. He's not going to be a starting pitcher in the rotation. We need to find better options out there. And they needed the clear room on the 40-man roster. If it doesn't work out with Kyle Wright, I think it's a, a no harm, no foul type of move. It just doesn't work out because I don't see Jackson Coar really working out in Atlanta either. 
Yeah, I, I kind of agree with you. I think if, if, if it doesn't work out for both sides, or at least for Kansas City's side, since we're talking about the Royals here, I think it's at least a move that they made with the hope that there's a better upside or better return with Kyle Wright than there would be in the future with Kowar. So I, I, I'm with you on that, Jack. Um, the Royals have a new manager heading into the season, and Matt, and I'm probably going to butcher his last name, so please correct me, Matt Quattrero. Um, that, is, that is correct, yep. Yes. Uh, he's the new manager for the Royals. What are the early expectations either from you or what you're hearing from the fans and or the organization? Well, last year was his first year in Kansas City. His first oh. chance to be uh, a manager at the big league level. Came over from Tampa Bay, was, was the bench coach. And, you know, he, he walked into a situation that I think he knew going in it was going to be a tall order to, to turn around Kansas City, especially without having much you know, managing experience in his entire career. Uh, but what the Royals really liked is that he's analytically driven. He's worked with a team that has a smaller payroll before. And we saw Tampa Bay kind of go from a mediocre-ish type of franchise to one that can compete at the top half of the American League. And I'm sure the Royals and, and J.J. Piccolo and John Sherman envisioned that in the future with Matt Quattrero. And, you know, I, I just got this feel that when he was hired, I'm sure one of the things he had to take on and what they told him was, hey, it's going to be really ugly in year one. And it was really ugly in year one. It was an evaluation year, and the Royals needed to evaluate a lot of guys. But uh, some people have already, you know, jumped off the bandwagon for it, saying if you lose that many games, it doesn't matter if it's year one or year four of a manager, they got to go. And I, I'm just not really on that that boat. I, I think that you got to give a guy some time, especially with a roster like this, to build something. And I do believe he's the right guy for the job. He's a mild-mannered guy. He's very quiet. Was actually ejected only like two or three times this year, and they came in one week when the Royals uh, had their eight- or nine-game winning streak. So I think the passion comes out a little bit when, when games are more important and they're on the line like that. And, and I do think that he's still got his hands full. It's still not a roster right now that can compete. But again, I think you can see some significant strides in 2024 because they've got the right coaching staff in place and one that I think will turn them into a winner in no time. Okay. Well, it'd be nice to see the Royals winning again. I mean, I know last time we had you on, we talked about that two-year run where the Royals made back-to-back -back World Series and stuff. And mm -hmm. just, you know, with teams being bad, the way baseball is set up is that you should eventually get good again because you should be getting the top talent and stuff. Yeah. Um, which kind of leads me to my next question in terms of top talent. Bobby Witt Jr. is clearly the star of the team and the face of the franchise. But I remember reading or hearing a lot going into like the winter meetings or the early part of the winter meetings, in the offseason here, about a trade for, you know, the Royals might trade Bobby Witt Jr. I guess what is, what's going on with him and the organization? Yeah, I don't think there would be a scenario in which Bobby Wood Jr. is traded. Uh, the Royals really like him here. He expressed that he loves being here. The The tricky thing now is the contract that they want to get him locked mm -hmm. down to. And, you know, when you have a talented player like Bobby Wood Jr., and I think really the Royals in their entire franchise existence have had maybe one or two megastars. You're looking at George Brett and then Bo Jackson. Um, but other than that, there's been some really good players that have come through, of course, that are legendary. You know, Frank White was pretty legendary. Uh, you look at Dan Quisenberry, Brett Saberhagen. Uh, you go back into the 2000s, Carlos Beltran was certainly a superstar here. Zach Granke winning a Cy Young. And in the 2014 and 15 teams, I think all really, really good players. But megastar status is when, you know, everybody knows who that guy plays for. When you go to watch the Royals play, 
you are going to see Bobby Wood Jr. or George Brett Wood back then or, you know, guys like that, I would say, for megastar status. Bo Jackson was the other one I'm trying to think off the top of my head. But the contract part of this is where it gets really tricky because he is a megastar in the making and you need to make sure he never plays another game in another uniform. He's playing in a Royals uniform his entire career and Bobby Wood Jr. for the first time in his career had some legitimate success. He was top five in, in F-War last year, making him one of the most valuable players. He even got MVP votes uh, in this last voting. So I, I do think it's a lot easier said than done to just go, well, let's sign the long-term deal. Well, it also comes down to the money involved, if you're willing to give him that much money. And if Bobby Wood Jr. wants to just sign a deal right now, because he could say, hey, you know, I am going to get a massive, massive deal at some point in my career. I'm betting on myself now. I'm not going to sign an extension in Kansas City. Therefore, when I become a free agent, I already know I'm going to be one of the game's best players. And then the Yankees or the Phillies or the Mets or the Cubs could go, hey, we can give you money that the Royals just simply can't. And that's another scary part of this. But I really do believe the Royals and Bobby Wood Jr. are determined to get a deal because they know how important he is to Kansas City, and I think Bobby Wood Jr. Uh, has a great opportunity to be the face of the franchise for years to come. Yeah, no doubt that he's ta a really talented player and one of the best shortstops in the game. I want to ask your thoughts, though. Let's say they do come to a big-term deal, and we don't have to get specific on years or dollar amounts or anything like that, but you mentioned earlier about small market teams and teams that have those small markets don't necessarily sign big deals for their star players because it kind of hampers them financially. Let's say the Royals do kind of make that plunge and get a big time deal for it. Do you see that being an issue for them and being able to go out in free agency in years afterwards and surround wit with the talent? Or do you think it's maybe a changing of the times where it's like, you know what, there's no salary cap limit really in baseball. So we'll go ahead and we'll spend. Yeah, I mean, that's what every Royals fan hopes for. They hope that one day there's this offseason where they actually do become big spenders. I mean, I think Rangers fans forever never really saw their team spend. And then Chris Young becomes a general manager, and boom, they go spend you know $500 million on their middle infield, and it's worked out very well for them. I don't think the Royals ever get to that, but I think a lot of fans are going, man, just do something that can resemble modern-day baseball now. Because we've seen now small market teams give big-time contracts. Now, a lot of the times for smaller market teams, you're giving the eight-, nine-year deal to a guy that maybe he even hasn't had his big league debut yet. I remember the White Sox did that with Eloy Jimenez and Luis Robert. They just banked on they were going to be superstars. And kind of the same thing with the Diamondbacks and yep. Corbin Carroll. They banked on what he could become, and now it really works out for them. The Royals decided to wait and see there, which could come back to bite them, but it's still a very much a possibility to give him that big-time deal. And I don't think it would financially restrain them in the future. If anything, it shows me that, hey, if they're willing to give that type of money to your superstar, a little part of that and why I think Bobby Wood Jr. would sign there is also knowing, well, I want to make a lot of money, but I also want to know I'm going to be competing in the postseason. And if they give him a long-term deal, you know, that's when you start going all in to try to win in the postseason, building a team that can get to the postseason because you're starting to see in baseball now, teams are getting more aggressive and not trying to go through a five or six year rebuild. You can theoretically turn things around a lot quicker than people expect. 
Yeah, there's there's no doubt that you know you spend some money in the right spots and then with the right players you can have an instant success, an instant turnaround. Um, like you mentioned, the Texas Rangers did. I think it worked out pretty well for them over the last yeah. couple of years. You know, they they did something this postseason. But um, you and I have had uh, conversations about Cole Raggins. I'll admit I jumped in. I'll all feet you know feet first, all in on him being the ace of the Kansas City Royals staff. Now this was pretty early on in his success with the Royals and everything like that. And I'm, you were a little more like, let's let things play out and see how things go and everything like that. Um, but I'm still all in. I think he's the best starter in the rotation. I think he's going to be the opening day starter for the Kansas City Royals in this upcoming season. Tell me why, give me the reasons like why, that, why I'm wrong, like the, why he won't be the opening day starter. Yeah, it's a great question, and Cole Reagans is, you know, the superstar of this staff. He is the guy that they are looking to be the ace for the next couple years. The thing that I think holds him back, though, from being the opening day starter is he's never pitched in a full season before. He's not going to go from, you know, a guy that really had a lot of success for Kansas City last year and then to go into this expectation of you're the number one, you're the 200 innings guy because he's never done that before. He's never thrown... 180 innings in a season with 30 starts and I think they want him to get there but the best way to do that is give him some relief with knowing that hey the Royals do have a number one they're going to go out there and sign they're going to try to build up this rotation and definitely put expectation on him but maybe not being the frontline guy because Cole Reagans also has a history of getting hurt he's had Tommy John surgery twice it was a little bit difficult to explain though because it was basically he had Tommy John surgery tried to work back and then it just same arm It just didn't get surgically repaired correctly. So, again, more time off after that. And when you have a guy with, you know, injuries in his past, I think it's a bit much to say, okay, you are the guy from the get-go. I think the Royals are smart enough to go and and give him some some relief knowing that, hey, there's a number one. Maybe he's the number three guy on the roster. But I would say by the end of the year, every fifth turn in the rotation, you definitely know that Cole Reagans is the number one guy on that staff, regardless if he didn't start an opening day back in April. Okay. All right. Well, um, you know the roles better than I do, so I will defer to your to your judgment on that. Um, I, for one, am looking forward to next year with him and hoping he can keep building on the success he had this past season. Uh, another player that was having a really good year, unfortunately, until injuries struck, and that's Vinny Pascatino. What's the latest on his recovery from his right shoulder uh, torn labrum? Yeah, I mean, he's pretty much back to 100% now. He's been posting some videos, uh, taking full swings. Doesn't seem to be any hiccups there. And and I, I think Royals fans can expect him going into spring training as completely healthy. Uh, I mean, this was uh, unfortunate last year, but I kind of compare it to when Salvador Perez had his Tommy John surgery before the 2019 season, I believe it was. Like, everybody knew the Royals were not going to be that good that year. And it then allowed Salvador Perez two years later, and you include the COVID year in that, to kind of have the best offensive seasons of his career because he just took an entire year off, basically. He got to stay healthy. Um, he got to rehab a little bit. He got to recover and, and not you know, spend 150 games behind the plate like he had a lot early on in his career. And I think that's why you know, you're seeing a 34, 35-year-old catcher at his size still contribute in the way that he does. And with Vinny Pasquantino... I don't think he needed the rest. I don't think it was good that he missed the entire year. But if there was one year for him to miss, miss all those games, 
this past year was the one to do so because they lost so many games. Of course, it would have been great to build on that and him play 160 games and you know maybe make an all-star game because I do believe he's the best pure hitter on the team, even above a guy like Bobby Wood Jr., just in terms of overall approach, OBP. Uh, he is somebody that really is a transcendent offensive player. And getting that rest, making sure he's fully healthy, because he had a shoulder problem too uh, in his rookie season back in 2022 that sidelined him for the rest of the year. So I almost wonder if, if you know getting all of that fixed, all of that repaired, has now got him even better than what he possibly could have been. And for that, I think everybody should be excited for that because he is somebody, I think, offensively that can hit well enough in the first half to be one of the Royals' all-star representatives in 2024. Yeah, he was having a really strong season. And I remember, like, checking his numbers and stuff. And I'd heard the, like, hype and everything for his pedigree. And so when he was kind of backing it up this year, I was like, that's awesome. Great to see him living up to the hype. So you did mention about Salvador Perez and his injury and everything that he had back then, but I want to fast forward here. What is the future going to hold in store for Salvador Perez and the Kansas City Royals, Jack? Well, you know, I, I think a lot of it comes down to his contract and his 10-5 rights, and I, I think the Royals want Salvador Perez to retire a Royal. I think Salvi wants to retire a Royal, but they also need to evaluate you know, where they are competitive-wise, and if Salvador Perez playing every single day in that lineup is beneficial to them. Because last year, he at times was a black hole in that lineup. I mean, he was somebody that was very highly paid, and he wasn't giving you the numbers you expect when you're that highly paid. And, you know, it is starting to become a problem that, you know, the injuries are beginning to pile up. It's not just one thing reoccurring. It's a lot of different injuries. And, you know, he's somebody that can't really be productive behind the plate anymore so then he's just a DH so you're kind of overpaying for a DH in that spot and the 10-5 rights again you factor that in and he can basically veto any trade if the Royals decided to move on from him and I think they are going to entertain that idea coming up here at the winter meetings because they did try it at the trade deadline back in July and Salvi was willing to to waive those rights I don't know how much the Royals would have had to pay for his contract there because that's that's going to be the tough reality but if you trade Salvador Perez you're probably going to be taking on a chunk of that contract if you want a pretty good return because I don't think any team's going to want to take on Salvador Perez at his age and that contract and give up prospects in a deal like that. And I'm not sure what was in line. Maybe it was Miami. Maybe it was Chicago because those were two teams that had interest in Salvador Perez. But I'm sure that there will be a time they revisit it this offseason because Freddie Fermin was pretty serviceable behind the plate and uh, at the plate offensively last year. So he, to me... Uh, could be somebody that is shopped this coming winter. Yeah. So true or false here, Salvador Perez was mm. going to be the starting or in the starting lineup for tw the Kansas City Royals in 2024. Mm. Yeah. That uh, I would probably say true for now um, because I think the Royals okay. are going to entertain trade opportunities. But at the end of the day, I just don't know if they're going to get the offer they're expecting. And at the same time, if you do trade Salvador Perez, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, you are trading him at a low value. I mean, he's coming off a bad year, missed a lot of games. You want to hope that he hits really well in the first half, and then you can revisit that maybe at the deadline in 2024. Sure, sure. No, that makes sense. And, yeah, um, it'll be interesting. I mean, Winter meetings and off seasons, I guess some things can be a little crazy. Stuff we don't necessarily think would happen happens and stuff. So maybe a team that's trying to go for it, like the Mets, maybe they decide to get crazy yeah. and go for you know a big deal. But um, 
But yeah, it'll be fun to see what happens with them. And yeah, it'd be kind of kind of with you. I'd like to see him retire as as a royal because he's done so much for that organization. Um, moving forward, though, there are a few younger players that have at least shown some MLB quality and production. And those guys I'm kind of talking about, at least want to highlight, are. I'm going to try and say their names correctly again. Mikhail Garcia, MJ Melendez, and Nelson Vasquez, or Velasquez, excuse me. They're, what do you think their futures are? Do you think they are going to be reliable stars? I'm not necessarily saying, saying like all stars or anything, but guys that you can pencil in, like, yeah, they're a good quality starter. Or are they going to be more on the, hey, they're a guy that comes off the bench for the Royals? Yeah, I think starting with Michael Garcia, he's arguably the best defending third baseman in all of baseball. Uh, he had uh, plus 15 and outs above average, so he's he's shown that, I mean, he can really hold down that spot. He was a shortstop his entire career, played a little bit of second base, but the Royals made him change to third base, and he picked it up smoothly. I mean, he has been a guy that has been great over there. I think the Royals are really excited about him. I think the goal this offseason is to beef up a little bit because if you're making that transition from short to third, you might want to expect, you know, 10 to 15 home runs rather than just two or three like he gave you last year. But his defense is so good over there. Just sure. offensively, be a little bit above average, and you're a very valuable player. As for Melendez and Velasquez, you know, MJ, I think he had a really good second half. He was not good at all in the first half. But he, he fixed some things at the plate, uh, got with their hitting coach and Alex Zumwalden, and, and they fixed and, and altered stuff about his stance and his hand placement, and that really made him – <clears throat> excuse me, uh, a very above average hitter in that lineup, the middle part of that lineup. And, and that was really good to see because they threw a lot at MJ uh, in 2023. You know, he was catching to begin the year. Then they made him switch to right field and they made him switch to left field. And that's a lot to put on a player when they're just trying to find footing at the plate in general. And once he kind of got comfortable in left field, it wasn't great defensively, but when he could just focus on one spot, you saw offensively him get a little bit more confident. So I think he's actually primed to have a pretty good year in 2024, uh, assuming they can keep him in left field and assuming he can carry on those numbers from the second half. And as for Velasquez, it was a really good pickup. Uh, the trade deadline, they shipped off Jose Quas to Chicago, and that's what you do. You trade relievers and try to find guys you can pencil into your lineup. And Nelson Velasquez was somebody that brought a lot of pop to that, to that lineup. I think he ended up with, oh, might have been 14 or 15 home runs with the Royals. It was an absurd amount uh, in such a short time. Um, defensively, I don't think the Royals view him as somebody that's going to be a cornerstone piece in right field. I still think he needs to prove a lot, but I would expect at this point in time him to kind of be that uh, DH and maybe rotate in with the outfield. But I think you could see him for about 120, 125 games next year. I don't think he's going to have that same power surge that he had in 2023 just because pitchers adjust to you. Uh, they know what you can hit. They know what you can't hit. And for him, his splits were completely opposite. When hitting fastballs, he was one of the best fastball-hitting guys on the team. But when you gave him off-speed pitches, uh, he rarely put it in play. He was a big strikeout guy. And for him, it's going to come down to, can you spit on those pitches? And then wait for the fastball on the 2-1 count, the 3-1 count. But there is some potential in there. There's a lot of power there, and I think the Royals like him a lot. You're, the way you describe Velasquez and conjuring up engines. In, uh, images of uh, Pedro Serrano there. I mean, you yeah. need to get you know Joe Boo over here to talk to him and work some magic on Velasquez's swing. Yeah. Uh, Melendez, uh, real quick, you mentioned like how he's probably going to be the starting left field or at least a majority of his time in left field. Is it pretty much all done with him being behind the plate now? Yeah, I, I think the Royals made that decision, um, and they knew when they moved in the outfield, hey, this is 
this is the end of the line for him behind the plate. And he, and he was improving, and he worked really hard in the offseason last year to improve his framing skills, how he was setting up. And I think we saw a lot of positives in the first part of the year. But the Royals also knew, you know, okay, what's our plan with Salvador Perez? You know, Freddie Fermin was somebody they wanted to get, you know, not every day at bats, but consistent at bats. And he was better behind the plate than MJ Melendez. So they knew MJ was athletic enough. He had a great arm. He's got a cannon for an arm. And they said, well, maybe we can transition him to the outfield because nobody else can make that transition. You can't put Salvi anywhere else. Uh, Freddie Fermin can't go anywhere else. So, yeah, I, I think they looked at MJ's makeup and said, this is a really athletic guy, and he can make that jump. So his days catching, I think, are numbered at this point. It would really take a, a drastic change, like trading Salvador Perez and then going out there and acquiring an everyday player for left field and right field, because that would force MJ to go back behind the plate, assuming he'd still be on the team at that point. Because if they made moves like that, I imagine you know they are moving on from MJ Melendez. But as of right now, yeah, he's locked in for left field. Okay. All right. Well, you know, wishing him the best of luck too, and like uh, for all those who play fantasy baseball out there, that uh, I guess they're going to be hoping that he can still get that C qualification next to his name, so they can have him be the catcher, but not actually catch in, in real life. But uh, we'll mm. see. Um, Royals have some prospects. Who in their farm system? Who do you believe is going to be the next one that comes up to the Royals? And that could be coming out of spring training, or that could be a call-up in season. Who's the next guy? Um, I would say if there was a rookie to make the team uh, on the opening day roster, I'd say maybe Will Klein. Uh, they just added him to the 40-man roster, was the lone representative in the Futures game last year for the Royals. Uh, really hard thrower. He's got a power fastball. Um, command, he's a big strikeout guy, big walk guy. But the Royals had a lot of those guys in the past, and I think they are excited about him. And he's kind of getting to that point where you got to see what he has. I don't think, even if he doesn't make the opening day roster, he won't be far behind. I don't think he's going to spend too long in AAA. They just added him to the 40-man roster. So if they decided to more so bet on their farm system and the guys they already got for their bullpen, he makes a lot of sense for that. And I think uh, you know relievers are a lot easier to to get up to the big leagues than, let's say, you know, an infield or corner outfield bat. I mean, Tyler Gentry would have been my position player to make their debut, but mm -hmm. again, he's kind of blocked right now. I don't think if, if he makes the opening day roster, he's not getting many at-bats, and the Royals don't want to do that just yet. But as for bullpen arms, I mean, he's going to be up in Kansas City pretty soon, and I think at his age, his minor league status, you're looking at somebody that's going to be in Kansas City not too long from now. All right. Now there's another guy I wanted to bring up and mention and chat with you about, and that is in boy I decided to pick all the the harder names to say Asa Lacy. Am I saying that right? Asa Lacy. Asa Lacy. Okay, what is going on with him? He was a first round pick, if I remember right, from 2020 for the Royals, mm -hmm. and I haven't seen or heard anything from him basically since. So what what's happening with him? What's going on with him? Yeah, I mean, it's it's really confusing. Uh, he was hurt at the end of 2022, really bad 2022 numbers. And then he got hurt and did not pitch at all in 2023. And we had a, a minor update on him in like June or July, I think it was, uh, that he was you know, throwing in Surprise, Arizona, where the Royals have their spring training. Like he was getting some workouts there, some simulated games, but that was it. And then after that update, it's been dark mode. We, we have not heard a single thing about him, and I just don't have the expectation that we're going to hear anything about him uh, for, the, for the time being. He wasn't picked up on the 40-man roster, so he's eligible to be taken 
in the Rule 5 draft, but okay. he can't stay healthy. He hasn't had any success at the minor league level, and now you just have no idea where he is. I think first and foremost, you hope everything's okay. You hope he's all right mentally because I think that's what you know it kind of can come down to when you have the expectation of being a first-round pick and the numbers aren't really showing. I mean, this was a guy that always dominated in college. I mean, he got everybody out, had no problem with command, was a big strikeout guy. That all changed when he was drafted, and sometimes it just happens to guys like that, and I'm hoping we get to see him in some capacity in spring training, but I've got no reason right now to believe that, especially after missing all of 2023 with no injury that we know of. There might have been some setbacks, but it's not like it was Tommy John. It's not like it was a torn UCL or labrum, or labrum surgery, something like that. We just don't think he pitched, and that's what we have to go by. Okay. Well, yeah, here's hoping that he can get back to being on the field and maybe be a productive member for for the Royals moving forward. But, um, Jack, want to ask you here as we're kind of getting to the end of the show here, do this with all the guests, a little time for you to kind of do some self-promoting, some bragging on what you're doing, what you're working on. So what is coming up next? What should fans be looking forward to and being getting excited about? Yeah, I think the best part about this offseason and what's coming up is there's going to be a lot of guys to talk about. I mean, the Rule 5 draft is coming up, the MLB lottery is coming up, and then you're going to have the winter meetings. And, you know, we do five episodes a week, but uh, once the winter meetings happen, we're going to drop down to three episodes a week. That's what we do all year round. You just kind of get a little bit more off time in the offseason. So when we get down to those three episodes a week, probably be having more guests on the show. Hopefully we can get some players on the show. That would be the goal there. But uh, we've now gone live on, on Instagram and on TikTok. So we're going to be trying to expand our reach a little bit and, instead of just, just Twitter uh, because we want to be as accessible to everybody out there. So for Instagram and TikTok, trying to get videos up daily, whether they be recaps of the show or just highlights of a player the Royals picked up, we're definitely trying to hit this offseason as hard as we can so that we get to opening day 2024. You know, we have a pretty big following built up. Okay, and what are the names of your Instagram account for that for people can follow along on? Yeah, so for Instagram and TikTok, it's just at locked underscore on underscore Royals. Okay, awesome. Well, you guys heard it from the man himself. Again, this is Jack Johnson joining us. He, you can find him on Twitter at JohnnyJ underscore 15. He is the host of Locked On Royals with the Locked On Network. He's also the host of Night Shift on Sports Radio 810 producer of ESPN Wichita and a contributor at Royals Review. So follow him on all those places. Take a listen to his shows. You heard him here, so you know he's going to bring good quality Royals information along with some very solid baseball information as well, too. Follow him on his Instagram and his TikTok. Jack, if you want to shout those follow, those uh, names out again so we're going to hear them one more time. Yeah, at locked underscore on underscore Royals. Awesome, awesome. And you can follow us on Twitter at Replacement Level One, my co host at Rafal N613, myself at C underscore Phillips underscore 13. You can find the show on YouTube, on Spotify, on Amazon Podcasts, anywhere you can get a podcast, really, you can find the show. So check us out there. Again, Jack, thank you so much for coming on. It is great to have you on the show and great to talk about the rules. I'm excited for what they're doing. I feel like they are building to the future and they're a team that maybe. In three years or so, we really need to start paying closer attention to them because they could be really contending for some playoff appearances here. So, uh, Jack, thank you again for coming on. And for everybody else, thank you for tuning in the show. Tell your friends about us. Interact with us on all the social media platforms. And we'll